Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's great to have you with me. I'm recording this on February the 1st, and I trust your February is going to be a tremendous time, and maybe we'll start to see ourselves getting beyond some of the things that have been so heavy upon us in recent months. Hey, before I jump into my topic today, I want to make sure that you are getting my weekly leadership email blast called Leading Thoughts. It's free. We won't use your uh, communication information to market to you. We won't sell it to anybody. Go to stephenmansfield.tv and right there on the homepage, you'll see where we have the most recent Leading Thoughts uh, blast, the text of it, and you can subscribe just below that. You want to get this. It's a guide to how to lead better, the soft factors of leadership that makes such a difference. It's making a difference in a lot of lives, and we want you to get it. We want to do some good in your life. I want to talk in this podcast about the backstory to what is happening now in our country with the extreme right. Let me track this a bit. I'm going to weave a little bit of my story into it just because you'll understand a little bit of who I am. Uh, But I think this will help you understand what we were dealing with on January the 6th with the insurrection up on the Hill and what may be going on in our society, certainly what we're going to be facing in the coming months. Uh, For a long time after World War II, Republican and Democratic parties uh, didn't really disagree that much on goals. They disagreed on methods. Uh, The Republican Party was, as some people said, an echo and not an alternative. Um, It it wasn't really providing alternatives to the Democratic Party. Um, It had been subsumed during the Roosevelt era during World War II. It had cowed quite a bit. Um, And it hadn't really emerged as a distinct party. It wasn't really representing uh, true conservatism. Uh, Let's call that the ways of the founding fathers, minus the modifications that needed to happen regarding slavery and women voting and all of those things. Uh, It it wasn't really providing an alternative. Well, when you come into the 50s, the 60s, you begin to have a rising conservative movement. You begin to have people who have been reading some of the classic literature, the Austrian economists and so forth, and, and they're beginning to be concerned uh, about the liberalism, about the statism of American government. And so people like William Buckley and later Richard Vigory, and I I could go on and on, Barry Goldwater in the early 60s, trying to sound the alarm. Uh, Buckley saying part of the role of conservatives is to stand stand athwart history and say stop, (laughs) to stop the statism, uh, stop the encroaching state, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so that began to rise. Now, that, that did good. That did some good. That, that galvanized some people. But what really began to cause uh, the right, conservatism, whatever you want to call it, the Republican coffers, uh, all of this to expand, to grow, to become a real force uh, was what happened in the 1970s. And what happened in the 1970s is that some leading pastors and preachers in America, men who had, some of them admittedly backed away from politics, said it wasn't the job of the pulpit to be involved in politics, uh, said that Christians should keep themselves apart from the the taint uh, of the dirtiness of politics, began to say instead that being a Christian came with a moral code. It came with moral values, and those moral 
moral values weren't just for the individual. They were also for all things, that Jesus was Lord over all things, as some said. And therefore, uh, whatever morality is taught in Scripture is for the entire country. It's for all things. It's for how you run a bank. It's for how you run a school. It's for how you run a country. And they got increasingly vocal. Part of what did this, part of what prompted this, was, of course, in 1973, the Supreme Court issued its Roe v. Wade decision, dramatically expanding abortion rights. Now, you have to understand that abortion is a major issue for those who are pro-life, for those for, for conservative Christians, certainly in this case, and for those who maybe aren't religious but are pro-life, because it's about the death of human beings. We can talk about medical care. We can talk about uh, Social Security. We can talk about a strong defense. We can talk about legal structures and private property and the Supreme Court. All that's, all that's good and valid, and we need to have those conversations. But when it comes right down to it, for those who are pro-life, for those who have an understanding that the child in the womb is a human being, God-ordained, God-created, um, and that that child in an abortion is being put to death, a perfectly healthy baby is being put to death, it changes the discussion. It changes the game. It changes how intense the engagement is. So when Roe v. Wade came around and overturned 30-some state laws and expanded without any scientific or legal basis, um, a, the, the abortion rights. I mean, I mean the, the ruling in Roe v. Wade is actually one they laugh at in law schools. One of the justices said that the rights that were at the basis of Roe v. Wade uh, came from the emanations of the penumbras of the law. <laughs> I mean, uh, and uh, it, it drew from a right to privacy, which we believe we have. But does that mean that a right to privacy extends to the womb and thus leads to the death of a child? So just understand that even today, 2,500 babies will be killed in the womb today on average in the United States. Well, that's quite a bit. It's quite a lot of people. And I've said before in this podcast, if 2,500 of any other kind of human being was being killed every day in America, it's all we would be talking about. It's all we would be talking about. Pick anybody. Just pick me, 60-ish white guys, uh, middle class. You know, what, you know what I'm saying? Uh, pick anything. Uh, 13-year-old African-American girls, um, J- Jewish 80-year-olds, what, whatever, whatever class you want to take, whatever kind of people you want to take. If they were dying at a rate of 2,500 a day and dying, by the way, at the hands of other people, not just dying by a disease or by, uh, you know, some kind of a, a cancer because of being near, uh, you know, fracking or whatever. Um, we would be in, in an up, uh, just just absolutely in an uproar. But that's not what's happening today, and it wasn't what was happening until Roe v. Wade came along in 1973. And then people like Dr. Jerry Falwell and D. James Kennedy and uh, others that you are, you know of prominent. Billy Graham, of course, was still alive then. Franklin Graham was getting active. Um, you had a you had a, a lot of people who were eager to have their moral voices heard. And that's why Jerry Falwell started the Moral Majority. Now, um, that began to awaken religious people to their political obligations. 
And this continued through the influence of Francis Schaeffer. Uh, this continued through the writings of, of other people, Charles Colson and his experience with Watergate in the 70s, and, and, and then, then him becoming born again, literally the title of, of his famous book, um, and then becoming an advocate for, for, for morality and in, in, in law and in government, etc., coming out of the Nixon administration. All of this coalesced. And it finally uh, found a champion in Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was a conservative. He was a man of faith. He was learned. He had read a great deal of the great conservative leaders, John Stuart Mill and, and the Austri- Austrian economists and, and, and others I could name by the hour. Uh, some of the great, great book, Frederick Bastiat, The Law, things like that. And, and he led the country in the 80s uh, towards a knowledgeable faith-based conservatism. And that really was the heyday of the religious right, what was then called the religious right. You had uh, a march on March for Jesus in Washington. You had people begin to make want to make their will known. Pastors became a little bit more political in their pulpits, uh, at least saying, look, we need to vote our consciences. We don't have to be muffled. We don't have to be silenced when it comes to politics. So what you have over the next decades was a conservatism, a political conservatism that was infused by faith. It was infused by faith. Many of the leaders were basically people of faith. Again, uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, Ronald Reagan, etc. cetera. Uh, many of the most uh, the people with the biggest platforms were people of faith who were also religious, con- who were also political conservatives. Again, D. James Kennedy and Falwell and many others that you can imagine. And this wedding became very, very powerful. It led to political victories. And in fact, even when Bill Clinton won the presidency, he had to do so uh, leaning conservative, being a moderate Democrat at best, and sounding tones of faith. That's one of the things the Clintons did, whether it was legitimate or not. History will judge. God will certainly judge. But both of them, uh, both Hillary and Bill Clinton, sounded very loud tones of faith. Bill Clinton, you know, singing in the choir at his church in Little Rock, etc. Um, all of this was essential because Ronald Reagan and the religious right had changed the nature of the game. And we all know this. We all know that these tones continued to be sounded during the presidency of George W. Bush. We all know that Barack Obama had to write books and explain himself as a as a, a member of the religious left. And why did he have to explain himself? Because the country was so used to the religious right, which gave a religious rationale for what it believed politically. This is the this was the landscape in which we played. Well, something has shifted, and it's dark. And it's difficult, and we saw it explode on January the 6th. Because what you have is people who have absorbed the culture of the religious right, who believe themselves connected to it, but in, in fact are a secular right. A people who do not hold the moral values, the personal constraints, um, the personal sense of inner transformation that a born-again experience uh, promises and delivers. Um, They are instead people who absorb certain political values and may think themselves part of an evangelical slash religious right kind of value system, but they are in fact, and this is being well-documented, part of a secular right, a secular 
right. And that's what's emerging in America. The religious right, people who are part of the religious right, are surprised by this. They are people who go to churches. They are people who love God, love Jesus. Um, They are also, by the way, Jews and and Muslims and others who aren't Christians as part of this. Um, They are people who want traditional American values, quote unquote. Uh, They are thrilled that women can vote, thrilled that slavery is overturned, thrilled and celebrate the civil rights movement, Uh, believe that all that was part of the correction that needed to come in American history. But But they believe the founding fathers still had wisdom for us and that we should be living out that wisdom today. Now, though, uh, there's a secular version of this thing, and the danger for us is that it's angry, it's secular, and it's becoming increasingly paramilitary. Now, January 6th really tells this story. Uh, I don't know anyone personally who was up on the hill at that time, but I do know second and third hand. I know people second and third hand. In other words, a friend of a friend kind of thing. And so I know that there were good people up there who went up that day at the invitation of President Trump to pray. They wanted to pray. They might have been convinced the election had been stolen, but they weren't up there to shoot anybody, hang anybody, or do anything. They were up there to pray. They were up there to protest. They were certainly up there to protest uh, Joe Biden's uh, well-known pro-abortion stance. They were standing for life, okay? Now, that's what some of them went up there to do. Uh, and so you can see this in the videos. You can see that they're on their knees praying. You can see groups of grandparents uh, circled up. You can see Catholic nuns, Catholic priests up there praying, praying for life, saying the rosary. All of this, uh, the vestiges of the religious right. But then we all know what happened. It became angry. It became violent. They began to chant, uh, the crowd began to chant, hang Mike Pence, because he had not, according to Mr. Trump, done what he could have done to overturn the election. The truth is, of course, he had no authority whatsoever in the matter. Um, they were, there were some who were armed people with zip ties in their hands, actually looking for Nancy Pelosi to put a bullet through her head. People talked about it, people chanted it, and they were on the search. It's no wonder that Nancy Pelosi is so furious at Trump now, because this did happen. Was it his fault? We'll talk about that in another podcast. But all that to say, that's what went on. You can see in the videos that are running constantly on network news that there are actual groups of um, well-armored Uh, well-equipped men moving in concert, moving with military discipline through the crowd to the front. We now know that there were communications amongst these different groups, and there there was preparation, and there was prior planning. This wasn't just something that got out of hand at the last minute. There was an attempt to, uh, this was a uh, two things. It was a peaceful protest that then was co-opted by right-wing secular paramilitary groups intent upon invading the Capitol and killing some people. That's why there was a, a functional gallows in the front yard. I've had some people write me and say, are you sure about that? Absolutely. Um, I have some friends who are Capitol Police, so it's easy to ask the dang question when you're standing in front of the Capitol. It's right there in the videos being shown by every network news. Just just go ahead and Google uh, you know, gallows at on January 6th at the, at the U.S. Capitol. You'll, you'll see pictures of it. The chants were hang Mike Pence. Um, some of this was theater. There's no question people were dressed like idiots and, and, you know, draping themselves and Trump flags and all that kind of thing. A lot of it was theater. But the fact of the matter is that that was an explosion of a secular, right-wing, 
paramilitary, well-coordinated assault on the U.S. Capitol, and I don't mind saying, and thus on my country. There were other people up there who were remnants of the old religious right. They were there to pray. They were there to protest. They were there to peacefully make their will known. Had that prevailed, we wouldn't be talking about January 6th to this day. There would have been thousands and thousands of people who surrounded the Capitol. They would have protested. They would have left at the end of the day and gone out to, you know, Outback and uh, had dinner and flown home. It's the violent, angry right-wingers who, by the way, now are turning on each other because of the, because of the prosecutions, the violent, angry right-wingers. That's the group that now has arisen and is beginning to define the right. Violent, angry, secular right-wing. And that's the group now the FBI is warning the country about. That's the group that will move on state capitals. That's the group that has conspired to uh, kidnap governors, Um, to put officials to death. That's the group that will have Mike Pence and his family for a generation with extra security because of the way Trump spoke of them and because of the way that crowd and the angry secular right wing thinks of him as a traitor. It's not true at all. He was a faithful man to Trump and and he exercised his constitutional duties there at the end. So that's what we're dealing with now. There has been a separation, a separation between the earlier religious right fused with conservative politics via the GOP, okay? And that now has, that coalition is still there, but fraying as the Republican Party, as the GOP is fraying. And what's more active, what's more going to be a factor are less officially connected, less uh, active politically through official channels, normal channels, through the GOP, through the electoral process, etc. They don't have confidence in this, but groups that are disparate, groups that are less structured, uh, they may be be in cahoots, they may be communicating with each other, they may be talking to each other and coordinating assaults, but these are highly atomized, secular, right-wing, angry, paramilitary groups that are out there. And that's why issues like gun control, uh, issues like what kind of weapons and explosives can you really own? Uh, the questions like that in politics get so much heat. So in the future, we are seeing right now uh, a loss of the moral energy of the old religious right. Many of them have become Trumpites, uh, I say that just humorously. I don't think it's necessarily bad to believe, you know, that Donald Trump did some good things. Uh, he's going to be less and less of a factor now, obviously. Um, if he's impeached, he can't run again for office. So he can help start a political party and draw people to it. Um, I think that will have mixed results, probably keep him prominent. But even Republicans would like to get his stranglehold off the GOP, as I've said in previous podcasts. So what you're dealing with now is a moment of indecision by those who are part of the religious right. Uh, The old religious right, that which was started by Falwell, that which was started by D. James Kennedy, that which was encouraged by Billy Graham, that which was uh, encouraged by Pat Robertson and the 700 Club and CBN, which was a doing of God's will in politics, to put it in brief. But now you have an angry, secular, violent, um, networked, paramilitary, religious, non-religious right, 
And that's the factor. That's the issue. That's what we're dealing with. And I want to say, because I sometimes address pastors in this podcast, you've got to be very careful to make sure you're speaking clearly to those who are of your faith, because you might be encouraging the paramilitary secular right with the things that you say. I've, I know pastors who have actually resigned in recent months because they realized that their let's take America for Jesus kind of language, which is pretty standard Christian language uh, in, our, in our recent decades, um, they began to realize that this had encouraged encouraged a secular paramilitary right-wing kind of thinking that has damaged our country. And some pastors have actually resigned in repentance over those issues. So this is a podcast about understanding the trends and the times and the forces that are shaping our world. And one of the forces that will shape our world, uh, again, is the secular, right-wing, paramilitary, angry movement that is has been incited by Trump, but it not just by Trump, incited by a series of complaints about socialism in America, about the left in America. Uh, they are disgusted by Joe Biden's presidency. Uh, they are disgusted by the way Trump was treated. Uh, they, many of them, and I'm not defending them, but they see Trump's flaws, but they believe that he did some good things, and they are disgusted by the way the country slash the Democrats treated Trump. These are their complaints. Uh, some of them even read the Founding Fathers and believe that the Tree of Liberty should be watered with a little blood and revolution once in a while. They quote these kinds of things. And they have merged in with other angry right-wing kinds of movements through the years, almost survivalist kind of thinking. And this is what the FBI is warning us about. This is what we'll have to deal with in the coming days. And this is uh, an important moment. A lot of you are conservative leaders who listen to this podcast. It's an important moment because we're going to have to be laser clear about what we're actually saying. You can't speak in big, fat terms or you'll be encouraging things you didn't intend to encourage. This is an important moment in American history. It's an important moment for us conservatives. I told you that I'd tell you earlier a little bit about me. I won't bore you with a great deal of detail now, but um, I, gr I went to high, uh, college in 76. Uh, Carter was running for office at that time, became uh, president. I graduated around the time that Reagan became president. Uh, I was part of that religious right. I was a Christian, a fairly new Christian. I was a conservative politically, grown up in Europe, seen the devastations of socialism and functioned in that mode for quite some time. No Pat Robertson, new Jerry Falwell, new D. James Kennedy, interviewed on their shows, on their television shows, et cetera, because I had gained some notoriety as an author and shared those values. I knew there were excesses. I knew there were some people who weren't sincere. But nevertheless, as a movement, it was trying to do good in the world. It was trying to end abortion. It was trying to care for the poor. It was trying to battle statism. It was trying to urge morality amongst both our statesmen and in our country. And I think many of their, their positions were right. Were all of their tactics correct? I can't, of course, say that. And I think it gave us Ronald Reagan. I think it gave us George W. Bush. I think it gave us the best of George H. W. Bush. I think we've had some good presidents, some good movements, some good presence uh, since then. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm glad to have been a part of it. But I'm aware now, I'm aware now that there is a real separation happening now between those who, like me, are part of that earlier movement, but obviously a, a, I trust fairly adept at living in the modern world and the contemporary situation. And those who have become secular and angry and paramilitary and are sitting somewhere right now planning an explosion, planning a takeover, planning a kidnapping, planning maybe even an assassination. We've always had that, that tone, those movements in American history, but now they're high-tech, well-organized, and they just about took over the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. 
So this is what we'll have to watch. And this is what you Christian leaders out there will have to be very careful about, that you're not encouraging something, that you're not setting a match to tender that you don't understand. And for those of you who lead in Congress, lead in the Senate, and listen to this podcast, it's a time for us to be measured and wise. I'm not saying back away from our conservatism or our faith, but be aware what you might be inciting if you are uncautious about your language, if you speak in too broad a terms, and if you vent too much anger. This can be a great moment in American history. These, these Biden years can be a great moment for us to distinguish ourselves and to rise because he is, I think, a weak president and he's moving increasingly left. And both of those, I think, are going to expose what's really going on. I hope for good things from his administration in some areas. He's doing a good job with the pandemic. His actions on abortion have been atrocious since he's been in office. So that gives us a chance to articulate our case when it comes to a pro-life position. I like political tension. I like a 50-50 Senate. It makes us get better. It makes us be sharp. It makes us make our arguments in clear, laser-like tones. And that's why I think we can get better in the years to come and hopefully uh, help to do the good that we're called to do in this generation. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.